Unlock More to Life with Adrian Pinozo, Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we broadcast interviews with successful real estate investors across North America to empower you on your journey to unlocking more to life with real estate investing. Now, now here's your host, Adrian Pinozo. Hey everyone, it's Adrian Pinozo here with the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you get more to life so you can start living the dreams that you have through the power of real estate investing. So for today's episode, Super Pumped, we're going to be joined by an incredibly savvy real estate investor and also a uh, podcast host who has created over 100 information-filled episodes on everything to do with real estate investing, and he's been joined on his podcast by real industry experts alike in this field. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the current real estate situation, including the trends, some opportunities out there to look at, and everything that you can benefit from the one, the only, the renowned Andrew Hines. Welcome, Andrew. Great to have you. Thanks, Adrian. You're too kind with that intro. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you uh, you gave me the benefit of actually uh, being a guest on your podcast, and since then I've been following it quite steadily, actually. And uh, yeah, so the content's amazing. You're obviously a wealth of knowledge in this industry and market trends and so on and so forth. And obviously, you've done you very successful as well. So it's a pleasure to have you. And yeah, and on a side note, congratulations are in order. You're expecting your, your first child with your wife? Yeah, yeah, due in December. Awesome, awesome, congratulations. Thank you. So why don't we get right into it, Andrew? Pretty, pretty standard questions here, but again, picking your brain because this is where your expertise lie, so to speak. I want to talk to you a little bit about the current market situation with respect to real estate and so on. So... What's the biggest news or update you can share with with our listeners out there in real estate this year that really everybody should know about? You know, it's it's tough for me to to speak of it as news. Like, I mean, I'm really big on recognizing patterns, and right. you know, the pattern we've seen since the first lockdown was uh, a continual rise in real estate prices. We've we've seen quite a bit of inflation in other areas. It's no secret that we we sort of have a lack of housing in in Canada, and then we're also aiming to immigrate roughly 400,000 people per year going forward. The constricted housing supply is only going to become more and more of a challenge. So, um, one of the things you mentioned that I'm often talking about the markets. So Mark Loeffler and I do those little monthly updates or bi-monthly updates. And, you know, we're always coming back to the same conclusions. Well, we can't predict anything, but water tends to flow to the lowest point. And so if, if you have markets that are, you know, uh, tertiary or, or secondary markets that are outside of the major urban centers, those I've seen have actually been going up more because they were that much more affordable because wages and average incomes haven't really changed that much, whereas housing prices have. So naturally people are looking, hey, where does my dollar go further? 
So I, as an investor, I'm certainly interested more in uh, in those te- secondary and tertiary markets because it, it's kind of like the rock in the pond thing. And I, I've, I've talked about this analogy a lot, but you know, for anyone who hasn't heard that, you drop a rock in the center of the pond. Picture Toronto's the center of the pond. The ripples flutter out. Uh, eventually, they you know they bounce off of Windsor and they flutter back in. But I mean, it's it's the idea that prices will go up most in the epicenter, and then they'll 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 uh, that effect will spread. So I see people moving to Alberta. I see people moving out east because they see their dollar going further. This is stuff that we've been, you know, talking about predicting for the last year and a half, you know, and it was even stuff that was was bound to happen anyway before the whole lockdown. But um, I think that the, the issues have just been exasperated. So where would you think is a good market as far as, you know, you comment on tertiary markets and stuff like that? Where would you what would your advice be as far as specifically those markets? Well, I mean, I have often talked about looking for places where you can buy under the cost of replacement. That's getting that's tricky. It's still possible because the cost of replacement keeps going up so much. Um, but I mean, anything within a two and a half hour drive of Toronto, I think is fair game. But I mean, even people are going up to Sudbury and I don't really consider that a tertiary market per se, but it's gone, uh, it's gone up like crazy and it's still so much cheaper. So even though it's gone up like crazy, there's still a, an opportunity when you compare the rents to the average housing prices. Uh, so I'm always just looking at the numbers, you know, where, where do I see uh, an opportunity to get into something? thing that you know the rents are still say you know 1200 to 1600 on a you know or a two bedroom and um you know maybe i can buy in a much more affordable price point than if i were to try to buy here in the hamilton area or you know london where i've done the majority of my investments so um yeah i like going up you know just head straight north of of here go up towards owen sound wireton I've, I've been talking about that as being an opportunity for quite some time i still think the fort erie uh, niagara region is uh is ripe with opportunity but i mean if if you're a little, if your appetite is is a little bolder, say, and you're willing to go out of province, I think Alberta is a huge opportunity right now. Awesome. What's the average price point in Alberta? Do you know? I don't know, actually. Uh, my my friend, uh, I'd have to pull up the stats uh, to have them in front of me, but my friend actually just moved out there. He's just telling me how much he's able to get for you know five six hundred thousand uh, dollars compared to what we can get here. You know what we would be spending, you know. 1.2 million on here they're getting for five six hundred thousand so uh, it is drastically different but it is rising pretty aggressively too they've actually now reachieved their all-time highs uh, for alberta wow okay trends trends and opportunities any tips you can give our listeners as far as trends that you're forecasting or opportunities that i know obviously we just talked about alberta anything along those lines you can shed some light into yeah, that's a tougher one outside of what I've uh, what I've just shared. I mean, there's there's opportunities absolutely everywhere, right? I mean, as much as we talk about going outside of the city, you, you, right? You know, within 500 meters of your home, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money. Uh, it, it's just a matter of I would say this, you know, is it a needle in a haystack or is the stack full of needles? You know, and <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but I mean, how hard do you have to look for that for that opportunity? Obviously, there's going to be a trend towards smaller living, smaller apartments, uh, multiple families moving into the same apartment. So even when you think that Hamilton is, say, capped out, it hasn't. Because what's going to happen is now, you know, Sam and Judy are going to have their brother-in-law move in and, you know, his kids, and and they'll all live together. And I've seen that myself firsthand. And um, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So I guess that's sort of a don't be discouraged uh, comment. I mean, while growth will slow, uh, we're going to see more and more high-density living. You touched upon Hamilton there, and that was... Obviously, you know, that's my, yeah. that's my playing field in my backyard. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I second your comments on, on Hamilton. It's not tapped out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think our company is living proof. I mean, we we're still we're still able to make the numbers work in Hamilton quite uh, fruitfully. I mean, we just refinanced. We just completed a burr a few weeks back, and we were able to extract all of our capital plus uh, just shy of a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's top. awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, what what are those going for now? The the four uh, four unit uh, two and a half stories. Yeah, I think distressed. Uh, we're hovering, you know, give or take somewhere between six and six fifty to buy them. Okay, to buy, it. and then obviously the the renovation comes next and whatnot. But uh, yeah, on average, we're having we're hovering around I want to say 2,200 2, square feet, <laughs> four units in a distressed state. Let's just call it six fifty. Uh, give or take is where where we're looking at, and then you know we're we've been refinancing those properties after our renovations are completed for north of a million. The numbers again, just not not to dive into the burst strategy, but just echoing your comments on the Hamilton market, it's the numbers still work. Obviously, we're living proof of that. So, yeah, it's just the velocity, right? I mean, you hit this this point of affordability, and I've seen that we've done that where people have a hard time wrapping their head around it. So that's where the ripples flutter out, but eventually they have to bounce off the end and flutter back in. And, and people will start to realize, well, Hey, if I go all the way to Windsor, I'm not getting that much more. I'd rather just come back into Hamilton, live smaller. It, it's just going to be a ping pong type effect as it goes up. So where does that stop? I don't know. Um, it, it's tough to say, like, you know, try and predict when is there going to be a correction? I mean, every market will correct at some point, but how much will it go up first? Yeah, I think I think the numbers will continue to work in Hamilton, but like I said, it's going to be there's going to be more and more illegal units. There's going to be more and more people packing into uh, single units, um, you know, and just just getting greater utilization out of smaller space. Right. Awesome. Recent acquisitions and business activities on your forefront. I know you're big into the construction as well mm -hmm. and land development kind of projects, so on and so forth. Do you have any of those on the go right now that you can talk about? Yeah, so I've got um, kind of with my construction company builder hat, I've got uh, a 126 lot subdivision that I'm building out. So we're in the initial model home phase of that. And then I'll be working on um, with my construction company building out the rest of them. So we're looking probably building 28 houses this coming year. Then I've got my Florida lots that I have been picking up slow and steady. So I just picked up my fourth, basically going to be building you know, three bed, two bath, four bed, three bath kind of houses with pools, selling the majority of them. And, and then of course, keeping, you know, one or two here and there as, as burrs, as, um, you know, a place where my wife and I can go when we're down there. And, um, that was also part of a, a strategy to get a investor visa for the U S uh, to have an active business running there in the U S. And, uh, so kind of just to give myself some options if, if we do decide to shift our tax home South of the border. Right. Right. So you do actually have a, uh, a full-fledged business per se in the U.S. I formed, yeah, I formed the corporate structure, uh, LP LLC structure, and uh, it's it's running now. Uh, so just you know, in the early phases, getting all the structure, getting everything I need set up, and then um, working on the permit plans for the first one. And then I will look to scale that up, but it was just kind of getting the pieces in place and getting everything moving. That's been a little bit of work this year, getting awesome. it going. Wow! And how long was that in the making? getting all that going and whatnot. 
Well, we went down in January. At the end of January, we went down and and I started going to RIA meetups down there in Fort Myers area. Yeah. And, you know, Fort Myers, Cape Coral are very affordable Southwest Florida markets. And I, I like the numbers down there. I, I thought they made a heck of a lot more sense than the numbers up where we are in terms of what you can get for the money. So I spent I spent three months just kind of going to the meetings and, and not really doing anything, kind of figuring what's my strategy here. Because I looked at the flippers and I saw the margins were too tight, didn't really attract me. I didn't have a, a good plan B if plan A didn't work out. But then I looked at the building angle and I saw that there was a heck of a lot more margin. There was opportunity for perfect burrs. So I could be in for you know just a hair under 300,000, have it worth 400,000 and refinance at 75% and be in with zero and then have something that would cash flow. And I could even Airbnb it, but Airbnb is going nuts down there right now. So, so there's opportunities. There's, there's a, you know, a, a nice plan, a, a really nice plan B, and then a plan C that probably still works. And um, that's what I look for. I'm always looking, you know, do I have a solid contingency? How good are my contingencies? So it took me a while to find something down there that made a lot of sense, utilized my skill set. Um, not that I look to be any busier, I don't, but uh, oftentimes I've found that that getting into heavy rentals or building is where the money's at. And there, there's a lot of good money to be made if you can follow that process. At least that's been that's been the, the factor for me. That's amazing. Wow. So back to your, uh, your building here mm-hmm. in Ontario, um, how did you get into the whole build? Like how did that all evolve and how many years has that been in the making? Well, it started in 2015 when I did my first um, student rental burr. I wanted to keep it. I couldn't keep it at the end. I ended up selling it. But it was, uh, I, I couldn't get a property that didn't need an addition. And I really didn't want, it was going to be my, like the first one I'd ever tried. And I, I was talking to my friend and he's like, well, one, you can't hire a GC because if you do it, you're not going to, you're not going to have any profit. That's what he told me. So this is my limiting belief at the time. And then, uh, you know, this, the second thing was you don't have enough room in that house to make five beds. You've got to do an addition. And at the time he, so he was my realtor, uh, and he didn't, he didn't ever want to do an addition. He, he would find all the good enough ones that didn't need them, but uh, he would always snap those up. So it was fair game for me to get one that needed an addition. And it was just sink or swim, really. So I learned, I hired people, uh, you know, it started on Kijiji, hiring and firing. Uh, eventually I found good people, made them my employees, started a proper corporation so that I could have WSIB and, uh, you know, proper insurance and filings. And, um, and then I got asked by my mother-in-law who had a... A 47 unit townhome development in South London. So I was operating out of London and, yeah. and she's just like, well, you know, this is kind of stalling. It's not moving fast enough. You're moving pretty quick. Is this something you'd be able to help us with? And I knew nothing at the time, but sure enough, I just said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Incorporated a construction company as well. And, um, basically hit the ground running and then I ended up building other stuff for other people. And now I'm doing this, uh, this subdivision I never anticipated I would be there, but I saw it as a really nice complimentary thing to have for my own renovation and flipping business to have people who are on my payroll who don't go anywhere else. They stay with me and they work my jobs. Um, And the speed that allowed me, especially in the student rental side of things, like I was doing full renovations where we were building a thousand square feet and closing it in. We only had from the end of April when we took possession of the house to the start of September to have students move in. So had to like do everything in that four months. Um, And I've had them done as quick as two and a half months, like an addition, refinished, closed in, ready to go, uh, ready to have the tenants move in. And like, that's unfathomable speed 
for most people. So that's really where it started. It started out of a necessity for speed. And um, I like the control of having my own company. But of course, there are the headaches that come with that too. So it's not that I'm opposed to a GC. I'm not at all. I would love that. But I just haven't found a situation that works, uh, you know, with my numbers just yet. And I can I can relate to that because obviously we started our own construction company too that works on all of our burrs and stuff like that. And it's just peace of mind, like you said, that, you know, you have the people that are loyal to you working on your sites and obviously, you know, time, time is money and mm -hmm. they're able to facilitate those renos a lot quicker than hiring these. And, and we've all done it. I've done it. Hiring these fly by night kind of guys on Kijiji and obviously turning out to be unreliable and whatever yeah. other words you want to use to describe them. You got to be ready to fire real quick if you're pulling from yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I, I always try to tell everybody never let the money get ahead of the work. Let the work be. you yeah. always want to be on yeah. the other side as opposed to the contractor has you and you know, he all of a sudden you're into him for 25 grand more than you should be. Now he's yeah. got you and you really, yeah. your choices you're you're almost on his timetable as opposed to the opposite where the work is 20 grand ahead yeah. of the money right yeah absolutely that's such an important concept the leverage in the situation like who has the leverage and uh, i'm always looking at that because i've been burned exactly what you're saying you know you're into that contractor for 10 10 grand they haven't done a thing are you going to walk away from that 10 grand and go hire somebody else now and and that's what keeps people stalled and then they sit in this limbo forever afraid to walk away from lost money ultimately um, so yeah I, i've you know there's a big thing of i've taught you know others is negotiate a situation that works for both sides you know what are what about milestones like i've with new contractors i've just said i don't do deposits but i will do milestones you know i'll pay for the materials and then at the end of week one i'll pay you up to what you've done and um you know work stuff like that uh pay really quick if they're not willing to be reasonable in that negotiation then they're probably not people you want to work with so they kind of they're kind of just telling you if they won't negotiate the terms then they're pretty much telling you that they're not really going to be reasonable to deal with in any form yeah it's con constant learning right i've i've i I mean, I've been burned so many times and that's why that's why I've learned uh, to to structure things so I don't get that way. You and me both. You yeah. and me both. Um, so starting out with simple burrs, extensions, stuff like that, renovations, you're now building subdivisions. Yeah, whoever saw that coming. <laughs> well, yeah. So can we comment on timelines? Like yeah. so from your first acquisition and your first, let's say, burr to where you are today, how many years? Have gone by. Well, yeah, so it was 2015 when I did that first one. And uh, by 2016, midway through the year, I was already building townhouses. And, uh, you know, in addition to doing my own, you know, I would usually have one or two student rentals going on at the same time. Like I'd line it up so we were buying the next one right as the other one was finishing. So it was always working right. on something. Uh, so it got real busy there really fast. And then I, more recently, I've shifted to mostly just doing the uh, for hire stuff as I've kind of looked for new markets that make more sense to me from an investment standpoint. And uh, yeah, that's what kind of led me down this path towards Florida. And uh, yeah, just kind of keeping the things going here in Ontario as well. Amazing. So six years, you are where you are today. If you don't mind me asking, or maybe you don't want to share, completely understandable. So this townhouse complex project you're working on, as far as you're obviously into millions of dollars here, as far as the project coordinating expenses, yeah. forecasting stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Novice investors will will ask you or ask me, how do you sleep at night? You're obviously young. How old are you? Thirty-five now. 
So you're 35. So you started the game, what, early 30s? Yeah, you know what? I bought my first rentals in 2011. 2011 was the first, 2012 was the second. And, um, you know, just a lot of hiccups and scrape, scrape my knees. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say I didn't have stress with the, the towns and, and doing all that. But, I mean, I guess some people put some faith in me. So they, I guess, recognized that I, I had the wherewithal. And I, you know, I insured myself properly and I took it seriously. And I think I'm a conscientious person. Like I just, I want to, I want to make sure things are done right, which is where I can get so wrapped up in things I'm doing sometimes. And the time commitment gets, you know, crazy, but, uh, yeah, somehow I found a way to, it's tough. That's a tough one to explain because I think some people are just wired for stress differently. Um, that kind of stress hasn't been too bad for me. I'd say the worst stress is, is having students, uh, ready to move in and not having a product ready. I mean, building, building many townhouses that's like a rinse and repeat thing to me like i actually find that very very doable because i'm applying the exact same model and i'm just doing it over and over again it gets a lot harder with what i'm doing right now because there's so much more even though the houses like i'm, I'm doing three right now but the decisions that need to be made um, i'm really just quarterbacking everything and everyone it, it, it grows in scale in terms of of how much comes through me as a hub of information and a hub of decision making and uh yeah, it's, I'd take townhouses any day over this. This is way more work. But I think that if I can get these systems down, what I'm working on is building like systems that I can have inputs of decisions to be made. And then I can just carry them out and just say, okay, this is what we're building. We've got a really good designer that they put all the detail on and uh, we just streamline decisions. So that's what I'm working on. But yeah, no long-winded answer to your question. Somehow I do sleep at night. I'm not sure how. I know not everybody would have that same uh, experience. Absolutely. People are probably wondering when they're listening to this, did you go to school for construction or engineering or architectural stuff, or you just kind of grew and learned in the space? Just grew and learned. I knew nothing about it. I, I'm business educated. So I was supposed to be white collar, which I, I mean, technically, I guess I still am. I'm not physically that useful on the tools, but I can do it. And I made a point of doing most of all the, all the jobs at least once, uh, just so I knew what went into them because it helped me to go to negotiate. And uh, on that first borough I was telling you about, like that one, I, I slept in the, the rental, like I, I was on site five days a week babysitting it because that was the only way that was going to work uh, because, I, because I knew nothing. So it was baptism by fire. Whereas I know most people aren't willing to do that, right? They've got a career, kids, you know, for, for me at that time, um, I had a little bit more flex. I had no kids at the time and uh, I just decided, okay, I'm putting all my energy into this to make sure it goes right. Amazing. So no construction background. In six years, you've gone from, uh, in your early 30s, six years, fast forward later, running a multi-million dollar construction company, building subdivisions. And I think, and the reason I'm kind of repeating myself here is, I really want our listeners to, to resonate with that because I get a lot of calls and a lot of comments and, well, I don't know anything about that. How can I do that? I don't know much about that. I just just excuses at the end of the day. And here you have someone like yourself who, you know, put the excuses aside, so to speak, and just went in full, jumped in with both feet, scraped your knees several times, but you know, now you're obviously doing very well and, and successful. And that to me, if anybody gets anything from this episode, Here's a prime example of somebody who didn't let excuses or the lack of knowledge getting into that 
game stopped him. And here's a very, very fruitful result of your efforts. Yeah. And it's like you said, scraping the knees, scraping the knees is huge, but uh, it was when it's do or die, people do, right? Like if you're pushed up against the wall and you got nothing else to fall back on, that's what you do. You just do. Yeah. I mean, I spent nights on YouTube looking up how to install windows so that I would properly be able to keep an eye on people doing it and spot if they did something wrong. Uh, But I mean, I was really fortunate on that first one, like people would, would help me. Like I'd have guys that I'd hired, they'd, they'd point out what others had done wrong uh, or right. You know, I was fortunate. And, and I think that's just by sheer volume. Eventually you find the right people is, you know, you could do it the easy way with referrals, but that usually comes with the cost. They're going to be more expensive. Um, I found, uh, and I don't want to say misfits, but I found people who, who had a unique circumstance in life and, and it worked well for them to work for me at the time. And, and I built off of that. And uh, I'm really grateful. But yeah, it was just one attempt after another. I tried to do even before all that, I tried to do a development where I was going to tear down a heritage uh, single family home and and build a, a duplex. And that was in 2013, like, you know, my second year of investing. I always thought big, like I never thought in terms of limitations, like I didn't want to do simple. I, I, I mean, I wanted to be a really big, successful investor. And I think I wanted to grow too fast. And I made a lot of mistakes because of that. And I just, I, and so then after I got really hurt by all that, I just had to become a lot more diligent. And uh, I learned a lot in a, in a relatively short time. Quickly going back to the Florida acquisitions, I had a question with that. So what would be, for the people out there who potentially are interested in maybe going in that route, investing out of the country, uh, what's your top three pieces of advice you can give somebody if they're thinking of getting their hands into that kind of space? Uh, number one would be basically find a RIA, which is a real estate investing association in the area down there. Uh, things are open. Like, you know, we were in complete lockdown at home and I was going to real estate meetups in Florida. And uh, that's the number one thing, right? Don't invent the wheel. I've done enough of that in my life. Um, there's so many shortcuts you can find by talking to people who are doing it right now. Find out what's working, find out what's not. So, I mean, the absolute number one is is go to the RIAs, find other investors, uh, pick their brains. If you're not going to do that, hire a local coach. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just talking from the fact that I, I had to learn everything the hard way. It took me longer than I would have had to. If, and I probably got hurt a lot worse. <laughs> the other thing would be, I mean, have, have a really good cross-border accountant. Talk to them first and uh, about their, their structure. Like, what is it that they want you to do? So for me, for me the solution was a, a structure where I have an LLC that's just like a dummy corporation that sits there to assume the liability for my LP, which is the active company. So the LP buys the properties, the LP does the work. So the general partner is my LLC, which is, it does nothing other than just sits there and absorbs liability. And then I, I basically take money as uh, if it was a sole proprietorship. So that's that structure. I didn't want to do it that way but my accountant sort of assisted or insisted. And um, despite our butting heads, I finally got it all set up that way and, and we went forward. But just because that's right for me doesn't mean that that would be right for somebody else. But I do hear that a lot. I hear a lot of people have that type of a structure. Right. So go to some great meetup groups. Oh, yes. Accountants. Um, and then the other thing, 
yeah, coaches. And if I were to throw one other thing in there, um, it would be start with property managers before realtors um, when you're going to new markets, which you would learn from the RIAs. But start with property managers because not every realtor is geared towards investments, but property managers, that's their business. So they're going to know, they're going to have lines on realtors that, that are really good with that. Their wisdom around that that specific niche of investing is, is going to be 10 times better. And they're going to be able to help direct you probably to tradespeople and to uh, realtors that are focused on that or even just off market properties. Yeah. What part of Florida? I don't think we touched on that. So Southwest. Yeah, that's um, so Naples, North Naples is where we were staying. Fort Myers is about 35, 45 minutes from there. And then Cape Coral is just 10 minutes West of that. Gotcha. Yeah, it's crazy what you can get down there for for the money. I mean, lots in the twenty five to thirty five thousand range, and wow. uh, <laughs> finished products for four hundred thousand. You know, with a pool, you can get three bed, two baths for three fifty. That are like older stuff. You're still gonna want to add a pool to that, but there's you know, hear those numbers, and then I think about what we pay here, and it just it just makes a lot of sense to me. They're they're terrified down there. Like they think they think that the appreciation they're seeing is so unsustainable because in 2008 they got they got hurt so badly. Right. They had uh, you know in some cases they went down to 10 percent. Their values went to 10 percent of what they were. So you know 350 thousand properties going for 35 thousand. And um, I know a guy that's from Canada down there that was in investments like more more from a, an investment advisor role and he saw what happened in florida he just started buying and i don't know how much he owns or how much it's gone up but he moved down there retired himself just raises his family uh he got in at the right time wow you think wow amazing yeah what were we so thinking right last series of questions here uh, more kind of segueing into the future of real estate and real estate investing. We've obviously seen and heard about all this kind of stuff you're doing, which is absolutely awesome. Before investing in anything, you really, and you touched upon this, it's all about the numbers. And as a fellow real estate investor, I can appreciate that. You have to really look at the numbers, the statistics, forecasts, so on and so forth. In your opinion, Andrew, um, why are these so important for someone starting in the business? And it's kind of given your level of experience in mind, I think this is probably a pretty easy question for you, but why are the numbers, the stats, the forecasts, whatnot, so important for a novice investor starting out? And how can he help obviously understanding those? This is like a three-part question. <laughs> understanding those numbers and everything and surrounding yourself with the right people can avoid the deep scrapes in your knees. So mm -hmm. can you comment on that? Sure. Um, so as you heard me conclude at the beginning of this, none of us can really predict anything. I mean, we can forecast and we look for patterns and, and that's all helpful. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of investors, new ones, they think in terms of their plan A and their plan A only. They only think in the peaches and sunshine and rainbow uh, outcome where everything just works out great. Uh, but they never really think about what if and what if that. Um, so the numbers, you know, the first part of that question, the numbers, I have a cash flow spreadsheet that I give away for free if somebody wants to grab it on my website, just andrew-hines.com. Um, and basically going through that, you can, you can, number one, start to see some of the things that I always expect to see included in an expense list. 
because anything you get from a seller is not going to include everything. It's, it's going to include what looks the best for selling purposes. So you're going to want to adjust and play with some things, you know, play with your vacancy rate. What happens if you have a month of vacancy? What happens if your maintenance is 10% instead of five, you get to start playing and, and doing what I call sensitivity to your assumptions and see, am I still profitable? And so while we can want everything to work out in a, in a perfect scenario, <laughs> Eventually, one day, the market is going to correct and things are going to change. So what I really like to, to promote is that people need to understand their numbers and they need to have a buffer. They need to have strong enough cash flow that say what happens if rents go down by 15, 20 percent. That happened in Toronto last year. Uh, more than that. So can you sustain that? I suspect a lot of people who speculated and invested in Toronto surely for the property uh, property value rise were in a lot of pain for, for quite some time and still are now losing negative cash flow and if you're a new investor uh, negative cash flow is the fastest way to get out of the game and uh, if you fail in your assumptions or if you miss something and you know you don't ask other investors and you know go through the episodes on my podcast or yours and, and hear the type of things that you got to look for um, it's going to get you out of this just as fast as you got in and uh, that's why it's so important to know your numbers now as far as forecasts go I mean, you can listen to, to the stuff that I've talked about. You can listen to the stuff that, you know, we're talking about today in terms of predictions, you know, try and pick areas that are poised for growth that you believe fundamentally uh, have some reason to grow. Like for instance, Alberta, I don't just say Alberta because it's cheap. I mean, that's a big part of it, but oil is obviously going to have to come back and, and prices are most likely going to continue to rise uh, for oil. So I suspect that they have quite the future there and in relative price point in Alberta is lower than most of the rest of the country. So I see opportunities there. So you want to combine and, and think of a logical place to invest, but number one, your cash flow has got to work and you got to dig into your numbers, bring them to life and know for a fact that you're profitable in plan a, but also what if there's a correction? What if there are things that you're wrong about? Um, and then what if, you know, if you're all Airbnb, those numbers could look great, but what does your regular rental rate look like? What happens if Airbnb gets shut down? If you don't evaluate all those possibilities because you just want to get going, so many people just want to get going and they, they throw caution to the wind. Um, yeah, that could work out, but that could be, that could be awful. And I've seen it and I've been through it and I don't encourage it. Yeah. It's not a good place to be. That's for sure. On a side note with Alberta, have you pulled the trigger there yet? I haven't yet, no. I've not. Something I look at it from a distance. You know, with the Florida stuff going on, I'm kind of just focusing energy there. But I mean, if I, if I was looking at one market in Canada, that would be a top contender. I think we touched upon this. I'll bring it, I'll circle it back. But obviously, you talk very highly of Alberta. But which cities or provinces are we looking to become the next real estate market centers, in your opinion? And I think... You actually touched upon that when we first started the podcast uh, this morning. Do you want to circle back to that or just kind of leave it at that? Well, yeah, you're asking like different cities that I see an opportunity in? Yeah, that yeah. You're, you're seeing in your space or from your network of people yeah. dumping a lot of their money in London. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, I, I'm not sure if, do you know Alex Powell? Yeah. I was, I was speaking with him. I, th I think he was telling me that he got into New Brunswick recently. You know, that, that's that's an area that I've been talking about for quite some time and uh, also have not done anything there. It, it's not because I'm doing it. It's just that 
I mean, a lot of people will disagree with me, but I look at affordability, even when there isn't really a whole lot going on in an area, as being a driver of market values. It doesn't really matter that there's nothing else going on if the infrastructure is there. Like if they've got their sewers, their roads, their, you know, everything's in place, they have all their power and, you know, they have stores and, and distribution of food and all that stuff. That's not going to go anywhere. And that stuff's not cheap. So if that's cheaper than everywhere else, you're naturally going to have Ontarians wanting to retire. And they're like, well, I can't afford anything here. Well, why don't we just move on out to New Brunswick, even though there's not much to do. So I don't mean to say there's not much to do. I've never actually even been there. But, uh, you know, just understanding that, that, like I said, water goes to the lowest point. So if you understand that logic, it's not perfect. You're still going to want to have some employers. You don't want to have like only five employers in a town or a, like there's a mine. And then once that mine runs out of minerals, it shuts the town down and no one wants to live there anymore. Yeah, you could suffer very, very significant losses in value. But if, if you've looked at a market, you know it's got a diversity of employers, even if it's not exceptionally growing, those are intriguing to me at this point, especially when you contrast that with the opportunity of investing in markets that are negative cash flow or no, no cash flow. I'm just not interested. That's not a sustainable way to achieve just about any goal. Um, unless your plan is to just sit and wait until you know you retire one day and then sell them off for cash value. Right. Where do you see the market in two years from now? I think it's just going to keep going up. I mean, really, I, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I think it's going to slow. I, I don't think we're going to see the thirty percent, uh, you know, annual appreciation of values. But I think we're going to continue to see the five to ten percent. Uh, increase in value. And that's why, like I said, we're just going to have that greater density of living. Um, again, Mike, Mark and I will argue about this stuff and we don't always necessarily agree, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all taking our best guess. And a lot of what I say here today is based on just years of kind of watching the trends and seeing something consistent. Like I never under, understood people who wanted to invest in rural towns before, but now I understand that more than ever. I, I think it makes so much sense. It's just, it, everybody's always comparing. They're always comparing living in the city versus living in the country. You know, there's a trade-off there. And if you can get into the psychology of how people think about those things, then it helps you to make decision, decisions that you can defend. Absolutely. All right. We are coming towards the conclusion here, Andrew. And um, we have our lightning round at the end and pretty quick Q&A. What is your why? Why do you do what you do, Andrew? You know, for me, it always came back to just being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, you know, as far as it didn't, didn't have to be, I had all the money in the world, but it, I've just never really liked being told I have to do something <laughs> my whole life. Never wanted to be told I had to do anything. So working a job naturally didn't, didn't work fantastic for me. So, so I think that's where it all stemmed from. I, I, I saw just so much opportunity when I was younger in school and, and I, I wanted to do things different than my parents did it. Cause you know, they, they both had to work really hard for everything they got and, and they taught me a lot of great lessons and they taught me a lot about how I wanted to do things differently. So for me, the biggest thing is, you know, and I want to be able to teach my son is how to work smart and how to have freedom and be your own boss and, and, you know, design your life with intention. I think that's almost the reason why I did what I did and, you know, left the police department and got into real estate investing and whatnot, just to have that, obviously the financial freedom is the icing on the cake, but overall the life freedom to do and run what you want, how you want, where you want, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Couldn't agree more. So you're obviously very successful now, Andrew, and I congratulate you on that. We say that relative to how the world views success. Do you think there's still more to life 
for Andrew Hines. And when you picture more to life, what do you see for Andrew? You know, I think, I think more to life is, yeah, just continuing to grow down that path of, of what I've told you, you know, get better at delegating, get better at, you know, freeing up more and more time so that, you know, I'm going to be able to spend time with my son spend time with my wife, you know, do, do the explorations that we want to do, go the places we want to go. So yeah, the, the biggest thing is, yeah, just continuing to get more and more efficient about delegating, about, about being able to grow. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the more for me at this point, it's been, it's been a bit of a challenge. I'm not going to say that the situation in the last year and a half has an added to that challenge, you know, kind of decisions. Are we going to go, you know, focus more on the U S are we focused more here? And it's kind of impeded the growth a little bit, but uh, that is the next step. Awesome. If you could give one piece of advice to everybody listening and just one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't invent the wheel. Go find people getting the results you want and copy them to start. And then you can innovate once you got that down. Amazing. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Andrew. That was, uh, that was awesome. Tons of, tons of information there with respect to uh, what you're doing, your builds, your investing uh, in Florida and whatnot. I'm very sure that you've motivated a lot of people today just by listening to all that. How do people get a hold of you? They want to get into business with you. They want to learn from you or grow with you or just invest with you. How do they get a hold of you? Sure. Well, I think the best the best thing to do is um, you can find me on Instagram at the Andrew Hines. My podcast is available on any of the major podcast platforms or on YouTube. Just search my name, Andrew Hines. Um, that'll kind of keep us connected. Make sure you're subscribed there. And then, of course, uh, I'll do my best to respond to uh, to comments and inquiries on on Instagram if you want to fire me a message there, and, and we can go from there. Awesome. Yeah, and myself, obviously, um, if you're looking to get into business with our company and or pick my brain, I can be reached, uh, obviously, across the social media platforms as well. And or email executive properties at rogers.com. But yeah, we're everywhere on social media as well. And we definitely look forward to connecting. So awesome, that's it, Andrew. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Tons of advice and congratulations again on your um, upcoming uh, fatherhood. Uh, when, when are you expecting? Uh, December 23rd. December. Oh, Christmas, Christmas baby. baby. Yeah. Christmas baby. Nice. You can buy all the presents at once. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have an awesome day. And, okay, you too. Uh, cheers. Thanks again. Okay, thanks, Adrian. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.